Hello, my love. Welcome back to the show. On today's episode of the podcast, I get very vulnerable with you. And I allow myself to talk about a topic in an area of my life that I actually never, ever talk about. It's a very heartfelt episode for me. And I want to start off by just giving a little bit of a trigger warning so that you know what this episode is about as well. Today on the show, I open up about a paralyzing fear that I live with, that I feel in my body almost every single moment of the day. And that is the fear I have of losing my daughter. And I want to say if loss or the fear of loss, and specifically the fear of child loss and that kind of grief, if that makes you feel unsteady in any way, if talking about that or listening to someone share their own fear and their own experience talking about that, if that makes you feel uncertain or if it makes your nervous system go haywire, then today's episode is not a good episode for you. If, on the other hand, you've been longing to feel some resonance and for someone to open up about their fear in this area of life because you feel the same and you want to feel less alone and you want to get a little bit closer to that place inside of your own heart that is also looking for healing and for you to be able to soothe your own fears and your own nervous system and that's helpful to you through storytelling then I think today's episode could be a particularly beautiful one for you to dive into. I feel really vulnerable just sharing today's episode because this topic for me is the hardest one of all. And on this show, we talk about absolutely everything. This is the one thing that is so hard for me to talk about. And I can feel it even speaking these words now. I get a little bit shaky. So as you listen, please listen kindly. And thank you so much for being here. Let's dive in. Bread is life. In fact, my entire family absolutely loves bread. But I like to make sure that what we're eating counts. And if you're like me, you're going to love Hero Bread. Hero Bread makes those same delicious bready favorites free of consequences or compromises. They have remade carby, empty calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams of sugar and protein and fiber. Think of that soft, fluffy experience that you love when you're enjoying a refreshing BLT, savory breakfast burrito, or mouth-watering cheeseburger. But now it's made to really nourish you deeply. Hero Bread has something for every favorite, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. My team tried Hero Bread and said it was the most fulfilling thing ever, but it also felt lighter and healthier. So switch to Hero Bread now and you won't be disappointed. They even have a monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites like the 2-gram net carb herb croissant or the 1-gram net carb herb cheddar biscuit. Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code yogagirl at checkout. That's yogagirl at h-e-r-o dot c-o. Hello, 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 my friend. Welcome back to the show. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart, as always from the heart. I am oh, speaking from the heart right now. <laughs> speaking from the heart right now, I am exhausted. <laughs> I am. I am. I am so tired. I oof. I woke up this morning 
I woke up this morning, you know that feeling, I can really remember being a teenager. Do you remember the, the time in your life when it was the hardest to wake up in the morning? And for some reason, even though I have a child who like went through major sleep deprivation and all that stuff, that time of my life wasn't the time that was the hardest for me to get out of bed. It was like having a kid or having a baby that needs to eat, that you're responsible for. There is a primal like larger than life kind of strength that comes with having a, a newborn that gets you out of bed, right? No matter how little you've slept the night before. But I can remember being a teenager, not wanting to wake up, like not wanting to get up to go to school. That kind of like really heavy, hazy, oh my God, just five more minutes. Can you remember that feeling? Or maybe even younger, like maybe like being preteen, like I, I that that kind of age of just like getting up to get to school was the worst. And you just wanted five more minutes, five more minutes, five more minutes is all you wanted in the morning. That kind of feeling is the feeling I had <laughs> this morning. Just like I almost couldn't open my eyes, tired, drag myself out of bed. And it took almost like two hours this morning for me to start feeling like a human. Um, that's how how tired I am. And I am this tired because Leia has been really sick and I decided I'm going to, I'm going to try to find a way for this podcast episode to talk about this without sharing a bunch of intimate like medical information about what's going on with her. But she's been really sick. She's been sick for, she missed school for a week. She's been sick for a week. And it started off as this kind of crazy, really overwhelmingly intense stomach bug that we found out later like wasn't really a stomach bug or maybe was a stomach bug related to something else and became what I think is I think was dehydration that became something else and she ended up having to have a medical procedure at the ER this weekend and of course this all happened <laughs> of course this happened when Dennis was out of town <laughs> it's it's becoming comical it's actually comical now how every time Dennis, my husband, every time he leaves the family unit to do anything, he goes on a little vacation. He goes like now he's in Holland spending a lot of time with his family. He went to see his his, his family in Amsterdam for a couple of days. And it's kind of like he can leave to go do his thing and, and just let me know like, okay, when that terrible thing that's going to happen tomorrow when I'm gone, just remember you know, stay calm, take a deep breath, and you got this, you know, I'll be home soon. Because every time the man leaves the family unit, something crazy happens, like something terrible, something, some crisis, something catastrophic, something really inconvenient, some major discomfort is gonna, it's gonna land on the family when he's not here. I just, that's just, that's just what it is. So he left Friday morning and of course Thursday, yeah, Thursday afternoon, Leia got really sick and she just kept increasingly getting more and more sick for every day that he was gone. And for me, you know, there's a physical component to this and any parent will know um, or any person who's who's been really, who's been a caretaker of someone who, who's, who's unwell knows that, of course, not sleeping for several days straight is super hard on our system, right? Of course, always going to be. And I had... I think three days straight where I didn't sleep really at all. I think the first day I was, the first day she was ill, I was awake for 24 hours, no sleep, zero sleep. I was terrified that she was going to die. I was terrified she was going to stop breathing. I was terrified she was going to choke. I had all, all these things going on. 
So I was just up the first night, like 24 hours. The next night, I was that kind of like half asleep where you're up every 15 minutes just making sure that your kid is okay kind of thing. And then the third night, even less, you know, fourth night was the fourth day was the day we ended up in the in the ER. And after that, she was much, much, much better. But still, I'm not like, you know, if Dennis was there, we could take turns, which doesn't really happen because his like level of alertness and worry is never the same as mine. But at least when you have another person there, you know, someone has your back, you can rest a little deeper. So there's a physical component of that. And then, of course, being on alert in that way is is really exhausting, right? You know, worrying is really exhausting. And the big thing, which I'm really like trying to recover from now, is this 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 emotional exhaustion of being worried about the well-being of someone you love. And I think, of course, it's really big for any parent, like any parent knows anytime your child is unwell or sick, whether it's a little thing or a big thing or anything in between is always a challenge. But for anyone, you know, who's who's had a loved one ill, it's it's horrible. It's horrible. It's truly, truly, truly horrible. And I know I have I have my own kind of inner journey around illness and and my own inner fear around the well-being of the people I love and fear I have of something really bad happening and this feeling of when's the other, you know, the shoe's going to drop any moment, someone's going to, yeah, we're going to get bad news or someone's going to die or someone has cancer or and we we have a family member right now struggling with, with, with really serious illness and you know, both Dennis and I have lost people in our lives and I've lost a lot of people in my life. So I think I have this inner feeling that at any moment, you know, someone could get severely ill and die. At any moment, someone might leave, something might not be okay. And when that sort of, that sort of wounding gets triggered in me from Leia being sick, I cannot deal. Like I, I full on, and I recognize this, I can see this as a, I don't want to call it a flaw, but I, I feel like it is a flaw in me. I feel like it's something I really want to work on. I feel like it's something where probably I'm passing on some uncool stuff to my child. Like I, 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 I know my own energy around illness is not cool to hang around, to be around. And I would love to I would love to enter a deeper healing space around this because it's so, so, so hard for me to exist with. And at the same time, I know I'm not the only one. You know, I think most parents feel this way, that that saying that once you have a child, it's like for for the rest of your life, you're living with your heart outside of your body. I heard that quote or that saying before I had a, before I had a baby and I was like, eh, you know, that doesn't sound... <laughs> that doesn't sound possible. Like, how could you live your life feeling like your heart is on the outside of your body? And that is exactly what it feels like. That's what it's been like for me. It's this sheer terror. I mean, it it absolutely is. And of course, it's, it's unbelievable, profound, most incredible love and joy and just like your heart growing a gazillion sizes but at the same time, it's just pure terror, you know, like how, how does nature work in this way where you suddenly end up with 
with something, with this tiny being that not only is the most important thing in your entire life, that you love more than life itself, that is so valuable and important and precious. And like, literally, it's the most, it's the most important thing now. And also this tiny little being is completely fucking helpless, (laughs) can't support themselves, can't even hold their tiny little heads up when they're born because they're so fragile right? Literally, they're the most fragile, tiny being ever. We're not like other mammals, you know, a lot of animals give birth in the wild. and, and, And those like animals can already crawl, they can already walk, they can already very quickly, they can kind of get their bearings and feed by themselves and move by themselves and then follow mom around. And, you know, but human babies are so freaking helpless. It is crazy. You cannot leave that child unattended for five seconds. I mean, you know, like kids like need body heat and support and to be held at all times and obviously to nurse and, you know, can't get anywhere on their own for a very long time. Like that's a long time for a baby to just be immobile, you know, compared to every other mammal (laughs) that's around. And there's something about that you know, there's something about that very human bond and that very human fear. And that, of course, very human love at the same time. That for me personally has been just a very, very big challenge in my journey of of motherhood. Are you ready for spring? I sure am. Over here in Sweden, I make it my business to get outside and get some sunlight on my skin each and every day. But in the winter, that can be really hard and your body will feel the effect of that. Did you know that 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Luckily, Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. Ritual is a clinically backed multivitamin for women 18 plus with high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. You get nine key nutrients in two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption. And the best part, you can trust what you are putting in your body because Ritual has the USP verified mark. That means that the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. And only 1% of supplement brands are able to get this mark. So it's a big deal. Rituals multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I have taken Ritual for years because of reasons like this. I love knowing that the ingredients in my vitamins are actually doing their job. Otherwise, what's the point? No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. And I have talked about this on the show. I think I've talked about this on this show enough that it's, it's, it, it is a bit of a theme I I get people writing me on social media a lot. Like I remember you were very fearful when you had your your baby and and you had a lot of of of, of trauma there and a lot of like panic that she was gonna die. Like how did you deal with that? I get that question often, way more than I get questions about like yoga or something, you know. How did you overcome that fear? And the truth is I did not, right? I I did not. I didn't overcome that fear. I didn't fully heal whatever whatever thing is there to heal. 
And I don't know if, 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 you know, everything we experience at all times is for us to heal. So we're done with it and we move on. And then that fear is gone forever. I don't think that's how, how life works, especially these big things. But there's definitely manageable levels of fear, right? Which I think many parents live with. Like Dennis, for example, of course, like when Leia is off on her own, doing something, he's thinking about her, he's worrying about her, he's always, you know, like any mom or dad, he has this idea in the back of his head, like, what's Leia doing? Where is she? Is she with someone? And I have a lot of friends who never had that overwhelming panic, you know, who who never, like, it never occurred to them, like, what if my kid just stops breathing, right? I have I have a lot of friends who were very calm and very steady and very trusting in their in their journey of parenthood. That was not me. Okay, that was not me at all. <laughs> and has continued to not be me at all. So there is this manageable level of fear and worry that I think a lot of people just live with. I think if you are a parent and you have a kid for the rest of your life, you are going to worry about that child. That's just the nature of, 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 of having a kid. But then there is this unmanageable level of fear when you have a fear or this terror of something happening to your child and it completely inhibits your ability to live and enjoy life, right? Where it, it actually becomes a huge obstacle in your life, where it's something that becomes so overwhelming that you can't think of anything else, that you can't sleep, that you can't eat, um, that you obsess over it, that you sit with these major worst case scenarios in your head all the time, you know, like there's manageable, livable fear, and then there is unmanageable, actually, you know, harmful fear. And that harmful, really unmanageable fear is what I, what I, what I've been dealing with since I became a mom. So five years and three months now, that's a long time to live with a kind of unmanageable panic in your body. And when I, you know, when I first became a mom, my whole journey of pregnancy, this was not a theme or a topic that was at the front of my mind. I was not, you know, since I got pregnant, talking about um, what if something happens in this pregnancy. I was not worried about miscarrying. It was not a, I don't think Dennis and I had that talk even. I was really set on having a totally natural birth and birthing at home and my body can do this and and all this stuff. Like it was not, yeah, I, I didn't have a conscious fear around something happening uh, when I was pregnant, which is something I know a lot of people experience this, like, oh, what if I lose the baby? Or what if this happens? So what if birth doesn't go well? And what I didn't realize until later, until I think it was when Leah was almost one, <laughs> was that the reason I wasn't having those conversations, the reason I wasn't venting those kinds of fears and thoughts and worries with friends or with people or, or even Dennis, is that I, I had that, it wasn't just a fear, it was, it was a knowing. For me, that fear, that, that panic, that worry was so ingrained in my system that, that I wasn't worried about if something's going to happen to my child. I was under the, the belief that when something happens to my child. And that terror, that, that fear was so overwhelming and it was such a part of, it was, it was so ingrained in my system that I, I couldn't even bring it to surface because it was kind of like, if I spoke it out loud, I would have to acknowledge it to myself and it was too big for me to hold. 
So I kept it stuffed really deep, really, really, really deep to the point that I don't think I was even consciously aware that that's what I was was thinking and, and feeling and experiencing. It was really deep. I put it in the deepest basement you know, of all the of all the fears that I have and all the worries that I have. And I have many. I put this one on in the in the bottom floor basement dungeon and, and you know, locked it up and threw away the key like this. I will never address. Right. It, it felt just too the magnitude of that was was too much, too overwhelming for me to hold. And when Leia was born, you know, and, and I, I, I still think I have a lot of processing to do, to be honest, around her birth. And it was, a, when I think back of her birth, it was a very positive birth experience. It absolutely was. You know, I started this podcast, the Yoga Girl podcast. I started it when Leia was one week old. So the first episode of this podcast, if you scroll back throughout all the years, the very first episode is her birth story. And it's me telling the birth story. And you'll hear it there on that episode. I, I've never gone back to listen to that, but I would be really curious just to see what it sounds like. I remember like feeling like I had to rehearse it. Maybe I should script it. Maybe I should write it down and then read it. Like I was so nervous. It probably sounds a little bit robotic. I can imagine how I told that story. But if I think back on her birth, it was a very positive experience. Like nothing went wrong. There was not a, a moment of panic in there. There was not a moment where I felt unsafe or where I felt like like my baby was unsafe. Um, it didn't go according to plan, of course not, but it was really a, a beautiful beautiful experience. It hurt like like a motherfucker, obviously. <laughs> it was not one of those like euphoric orgasmic births. No. But it was a really beautiful experience. I don't have like a traumatic thing I, I ever felt like I needed to process. But, and here's the, the kicker. So it was a 24-hour birth, like from contractions starting for real, where I didn't dilate more than four centimeters for almost 20 hours. So the first hours of, of contractions, I, I, I got to four centimeters and then I stayed there for a really long time. Very, very, very long time. And, um, and in the very end, when I was finally dilated enough to push, I had a really hard time. I had a really hard time. And I've been making these connections recently. Like actually, like this has been on my mind. I've journaled a little bit about it. I haven't started unpacking it in a major way, but... I'm I'm now beginning to connect these dots in what I think is, is something that's ready to heal or kind of fall into place. That when it was time for me to push, when it was time for her to really arrive in the world, I remember so vividly the first push, the midwife, or my midwife, Anita, she said, wow, okay, it, you know, she's here, she's here, it, she's going to be here. 15 minutes, you know, she thought it was like two pushes away and she would come because I mean, she was out. She was on her way. Like she, she was crowning. Everything was 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 really after this very long birth. Like she was arriving, and I think I had another two hours or something insane of pushing. I couldn't push her out. It was like all the really intense, heavy work of of of, of laboring and the contractions and moving through all of that, and then finally, what's supposed to be like the final thing. And everything I had read at that point, every single person I had ever spoken to, everyone. Now I know that's not the case, but what I had been told to me was that pushing is going to be this overwhelming primal thing where the push contractions just come and you can't stop them, 
So I was worried that I was going to tear because push contractions were going to be too big. And there was a moment where you have to pause and not push. And like, it's this primal urge that just takes over and, you know, your body just pushes the baby out. That didn't happen for me. I never got a push contraction. I never, not once, even in the very end, never got that feeling or urge to push. So it was like I had to do the complete manual. It was, it was, it was the hardest work I've ever done in my entire life. Like the 21 hours or whatever it was leading up to when I was pushing her out was a cakewalk compared to the hours of pushing that last part. And, and I, yeah, I feel this, like even, even sharing the story, like I start to like, like my hand goes to my heart and I have to like take a breath to, to keep telling the story. And when she finally came out, you know, finally, finally, after all that, she finally came out and she, you know, I, I got to pull her out. Like I had my hands under her armpits, like the midwife was like, Hey, she's here. She's here grab her and I grabbed her underneath her armpits and I pulled her out myself and put her on my chest and she made this noise like I have it on video I wish I could play it she made this noise when she came out it wasn't a big scream it wasn't like a wow you know this big thing and it wasn't silence it was this kind of proclamation she just announced her arrival in this beautiful it was like she was like hey I'm here you know it was so it was so light it wasn't sad it wasn't you know it was like she let me know that she was that she was alive that she was here that she was breathing that she was and she made that sound as I put her on my chest and my thought and I don't know if you've ever I mean everyone who's who's listening who's given birth like that moment of having your child like on your chest for the first time, your firstborn. I mean, it's a huge moment. My first thought was, she's alive. It wasn't, oh my God, like here's my, here's my daughter. She's finally here. It wasn't like, oh my God, I'm a mom. It wasn't, my first thought was, she's alive. And because unconsciously or subconsciously, I was expecting her not to be and this is super hard for me to share yeah super hard for me to share still it's been five five years and three months and still very 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 hard for me to to share A consistent body care routine is a really important part of my self-care. I feel so much better when my skin is looking and feeling good. It's such a small thing that has a big impact on your overall day for your well-being. A consistent body care routine doesn't just promote healthy, glowing skin. It actually boosts our mental health, too. So give your skin a glow-up with Osea's clinically proven seaweed-infused skincare that provides results you can see and confidence that you can feel. Osea's Andaria Algae Body Butter is not your typical body butter. It transforms dry, crepey skin to smooth, soft, and supple skin, and it's my absolute favorite. I use Osea's products religiously, and I have been for years. It really is the best out there. One of the best parts about the body butter is that it's non-greasy. I hate putting on body lotion and feeling slippery and sticky all day, but Osea's body butter absorbs right into your skin, leaving you feeling hydrated and ready to make the best of whatever is next on your agenda. 
and it's been shown to hydrate you for 72 hours after applying. Skincare is self-care, so this is a habit worth keeping all year round. With Osea, you will get clean, seaweed-infused products from a company with over 27 years of experience, making sure they are the safest for your skin and the planet. All of Osea's products are vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out with clean skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. So there was a, a part of me all throughout the pregnancy, you know, even though I could, you know, this was a huge baby. She was nine and a half pounds. You know, she was four something kilos. Like she was a huge baby. She was, and she was really overdue. I mean, overdue if there's such a thing. I don't believe in due dates really, but she was 42 plus three or whatever. Like she was, she was in there for a long time. You know, she was really active all throughout the pregnancy and kicking. And, you know, I really felt her presence there. Like I could feel her personality event like her the quality of her being like I felt all throughout but there was a huge part of me that was convinced that she wasn't going to come out alive and it wasn't even like this fear that I could talk about like I'm worried something's going to happen I'm worried you know I'm going to give birth to a stillborn or I'm worried that she's going to be taken away or I'm worried that she's not going to make it, or I'm worried something's going to happen. I never spoke that out loud because I never had the conscious thought. Not once, not once did I even realize that, hey, I'm sitting with this fear here, or actually here, I'm really worried about, about this thing here. Not one time. So it, for, for me, that part makes it so much harder and so much worse because it, it wasn't even the fear of her not making it, but it was my complete belief that she wasn't, right? I was surprised that I gave birth to a baby that was breathing, you know? So this obviously like set the tone for my first months, my first year as a mother in kind of a, kind of a tricky way, right? Because it meant I, <laughs> yeah, I was beginning my journey of, of motherhood <laughs> having fully believed I wasn't going to be a mom, right? Fully believing that that, that time would be a time where I was grieving instead of rejoicing. And for the first months of her life, and I, I don't know if this is a part of, of postpartum depression. I, I've never really spoken to any professional about this. Um, but all throughout the day, and I'm talking like all throughout the day, every single day, all day, from the moment that we brought Leia home, I would envision all different ways in which how she would die. <laughs> okay, this sounds absurd. I didn't talk to anybody about this. But I would be like holding her, walking up to our bedroom because we had our bedroom upstairs. We have these stone tile floors in, in our house in Aruba. And as I'm walking her, you know, I'm super steady. Everything's normal. I'm feeling great. Like everything's fine. Nothing bad is happening. I would just envision in my brain how I slip in the stairs. I can't, like I can't catch my balance. She hits her head on the edge 
like this sharp corner edge of the stairs, and she dies. And in my head, I go through the scenario all the way, like all the way, all the way. And it's these like split second little movies almost that would that would play in my head from beginning till end and being like a funeral or I could even envision like a little white casket or like the end being literally the worst possible thing that could ever possibly happen to anybody. I mean, is there something worse than this? I, I, I can't think of a single thing. And then I would like catch that I that I had that little image and I would just continue with my day, right? And then I would go and I would put her on the changing table and I would envision like how I drop her and she, you know, bangs onto the floor and she dies. Or um, we get in the car and I strap her into the car seat and I just envision like how we, in the next cross section, there's a car that hits us and she dies. She's in the bath. Even like while holding her in the bath, I would envision just somehow like her slipping out of my arms and then she drowns. Every... <laughs> every milestone that she had came along with a new level of just gut-wrenching, really disturbing kind of panic for me. Because, you know, when she started crawling, all of a sudden she could go places. She started flipping from stomach to back and back to stomach. Like she could roll off things. She started walking. She could walk into anything. She started eating. That was horrible for me. <laughs> horrible. Horrible. The process of her like learning how to eat and chew and swallow foods was every meal came along with this major like pressure on top of my chest because at every bite she took, potentially she could choke, right? Every time we got into a car, potentially we could have a car crash. Every time she went to sleep and take a nap, potentially she would stop breathing, right? Which, you know, Obviously, I knew the likelihood of these things in a logical way were very, very, very slim. Like none of this was logical. None of this was coming from my, you know, mature adult <laughs> logical mind. It was this ingrained thing. Like it all comes from the same place inside of me. Like that moment when I pushed her out and she was born that was convinced that she was going to die. And then that knowing has kind of lived on in a sense. And it's become more faded and it's become more manageable. And I got to a point when I think she was one, something like that, where I, I realized that probably, I, I can't remember who it was. It was someone I had a conversation with because when I tried talking about these things with other people or with friends or with other moms, people would dismiss me really quickly and say, yeah, yeah, everybody feels that way. And if I said, well, I'm constantly nervous that she's going to stop breathing. Yeah, every, of course. It's so, it's living with your heart outside of your body, right? But this, what I was experiencing wasn't that, right? It wasn't just living with your heart outside of your body. It was living with your heart outside of your body, convinced that that heart is going to get, that heart is going to die every day. You know, there's there's kind of like normal manageable fear, like I said, and then unmanageable. And this was obviously completely fucking unmanageable. And for every parent who told me this is normal, I did nothing about it. This is normal. This is normal. That shit was not normal. If you're a parent experiencing this level of terror, panic, can't sleep, can't function, can't get the horror show in your brain to stop, like that is not normal. That is not normal. That is something that deserves attention. That is something that deserves help, support, 
maybe by a trained professional. That is something that needs to be spoken out loud and spoken about and addressed and brought into the light from the scary place deep in the dungeon, you know. And I can't remember what the final, like if, if it was someone I told, like the extent of what I was feeling. Because, you know, me talking about this now, I still, I, I cry. It's very hard to talk about still. Imagine then when she was an actual newborn and and this was all so new to me. I mean, it was really hard for me to get to a place of of opening up about it. And I can't remember who it was who told me like, wait, like this is not normal, <laughs> you know like not sleeping, like a lot of my sleep deprivation came from not being able to sleep because I was, I, I, I needed to hear her breathing. I was like hanging over her crib, needing to watch her chest rise and fall all night. I was on all these weird forums. Oh my God. Like, you know, if you, if you put your kid in, in stripes, if they're, if they wear striped, striped pajamas, or these kinds of pattern pajamas, it's easier to see their chest rise and fall when they breathe. So then you know, I was like buying, then I was trying to convince Dennis to let me spend hundreds of dollars on one of these monitors that you attach to your child. So if their heart rate goes down or stops, there's an alarm that goes off, which they use for like, I think kids in the NICU and 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 children who, who have conditions where like there is a danger of something like that. But Leia was a super healthy kid. You know, she had she had no problems with, with anything. And I think all of these things I was doing was just making my fear worse. I wasn't addressing the underlying thing there. I wasn't addressing my nervous system, which was totally shot. I was just trying to find fixes, right? So it was just completely unmanageable. And then when she was around one, I started doing some work around it. And I started talking to someone around it and I started opening up about it and it was kind of like a weight was lifted and it's actually what what led me to astrology in the first place I think I've told this story on the podcast probably a long time ago but my uh, one of my astrologers <laughs> that's a funny sentence <laughs> I'm laughing at myself now just so you know I have I have this I have a bit of distance <laughs> To, to, to the stuff I do. One of my astrologers, yes, I have several that I consult. Okay. But my first one, Deborah, who uh, I had a reading with when Leah was like one year old or something like that. And uh, in this reading, she was doing a reading of the family and Dennis and Leah and me. And she she kept talking about this long life that we had together, you know. And when I'm a grandma, and when I'm older and then Leia's doing so-and-so and this is her personality. And then I told, I said, I said, wait, you can see that she's going to live a long life in, in her chart? And she was like, yes. What, what do you mean? I said, you, like, she's not, you, you can't see in her chart that she's going to die or that something's going to happen. And she went, what? Why would you ask me that? Like, she really, like, took a pause and stopped the reading. It's like, so, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this is a big thing, you know, where's this fear coming from? Like, why would you ask me that? And I started crying and I was like, I keep envisioning her dying. Like I keep, I keep seeing different ways of, of, of how this most terrible thing is going to happen. And the feeling is not like, if it's going to happen, the feeling is when it's like all day I'm waiting for this to happen. 
And Deborah, if you ever heard her speak, you know, she's so no nonsense and she's such a Gemini and she's so like big in her, <laughs> in her communication. And she was like, this is not right. This, there's nothing in your chart that even remotely suggests anything like this. And actually to the opposite, like, like, especially in your chart, there's this big sense of, of trust and knowing and, and like your higher self is not in agreement with this. Like this is not in alignment with your journey at all. This is an old story. This is not true. This is from trauma and you got you to gotta address this. You got to work on this. And she said it in such a matter of fact, like what? No, this is not true. You know, it was so helpful for me. And you might say like, well, she's an astrologer. Like, what does she know? It's also the psychology of that, right? Of having someone else tell you like, your kid is safe. Like they are so safe. There's nothing here that suggests that they're not. And the thoughts that you're having around them not being safe is an old story. It's something old, but it's something you need to address. It's something you need to look at. And so I did, or I started I started doing that work anyway. And by becoming aware of the fear, right? By knowing, oh, there's this big thing here. By doing that work and astrologically doing a lot of that work was also really important. Getting a real therapist, right? To commit to and talk to and yeah, just to begin processing that thing that was there was really, really helpful. And then of course, like I don't want (laughs) to, I don't want to not include this, but this was so much worse for me when she was little, Lur. The older she got, the more capable she became, the easier this has become for me, right? Knowing that she's not going to at any moment fall off something or run into the road because she doesn't understand that cars are dangerous or, you know, or choke on her food because she hasn't like properly learned how to chew yet. All of that stuff for every the more the older she's gotten, the easier the stuff has become for me because she can manage. She's sturdier, right? <laughs> but it doesn't go away, right? It hasn't gone away, clearly, like not not at all. It's still a major, major, major thing for me. And so this time, and I'm, I think I'm, I know I'm extremely lucky that she doesn't have, she doesn't have any major condition. She doesn't, she hasn't had any major accident. She's, never been severely ill like like i i don't know how i would manage something like that and i i guess no parent does like of course this is every parent's worst nightmare but i like this weekend when she got i had two moments two two big moments this weekend where i really felt like i i left my body <laughs> i don't know how else to describe it it was one moment like in the middle of the night where Dennis walked in to to be with her. Um, I was cleaning something outside. She was just throwing up all night and she was really out of it, really, really out of it. And he goes in as I'm like emptying a bucket in the kitchen or in the bathroom and he goes in and then he yells for me and he does it with like a panic in his voice and Dennis doesn't get panicked ever. There's no panicking that man. He yells for me with panic in his voice. And he had a moment himself where he walked in and he couldn't wake and she was throwing up, but he he couldn't wake her up. So he had a moment where he was like, oh my God, I like, she's unconscious. We have an unconscious kid here. 
And he called for me with that panic. And I walk into the room and the way she was lying on the bed, eyes closed. It was just a split second, right, where she wasn't moving. And for that split second of just the potential of something being severely wrong with her, I it's like all the blood leaves my system. I just get this icy cold feeling from my feet all the way up to my head. And I feel, fully feel like I'm disassociating from the whole entire moment. I feel myself just leave my body, float up into space, like, oh, so this is it now, you know? Oh, it's happening now. Like she's, she's dying now. Like, and then I go back in and I pick her up and I shake her and she wakes up. She's awake. She's alive. She's, you know, <laughs> all the things. And I'm back in my body and I'm like, okay. And I just move on, right, with the evening. And then the second time was a few days later when she was still not okay, right? Still, still not back. And after calling the hospital twice and calling this, there's this number here in Sweden you can call just for like medical support and one specifically for kids where they consult you and they let you know, you know, should you go in or should you not? Or what can you do? Or, you know, just to help you be over the phone. And uh, when the lady told me, I think you should go in now, like this has become something that I'm concerned about. I think you should go to the ER now and go to the closest one. And from that moment when I'm like, oh shit, it, it's actually really bad because it's hard for me to gauge when I'm always in the worst case scenario like I'm always exaggerating, right? I'm always more worried than I'm supposed to be. I'm always making potential illness or stuff. It's bigger in my head than it is in reality, always. I, it's very hard for me to trust my intuition in those moments because my intuition when it comes to her a potential illness is I, I can't access it, right? That like panic of she might die, it's it's too big for, for any other voice to be heard, I can't intuitively feel. And so when that woman on the phone was like, you need to go in, you go in right now. And I go over to I hang up. I go over to Leah right away to, to get her dressed so we can go. And then she's not responsive and um, like not immediately responsive. And I had, again, this moment of like, yeah, like ice fills my whole entire body from my feet all the way up to my head. I completely, like while dressing her, I'm still doing the motions of a human being. I'm still putting on her pants and getting her dressed. But like emotionally, I have left. I am checked out. I am not there. And then she kind of like opens her eyes and she sits up and I'm like, okay, she's here. And I, and I drop back in and I, and I keep going and I, and I pack and we go to the ER and, and you know, it's fucking horrendous. And we get to the ER, she had to have, it wasn't even a procedure, it was something small, but there was a reason she was, like, it was very, very important that we came in, and uh, I have to just monitor her that it doesn't happen again, and she's great now, she's in school today, she's, you know, like, immediately after we went to the ER, all of a sudden, like, all the color came back to her face, her eyes were clear, she looked me in the eye, you know, and I had a friend there, one of my best friends, thank God, because I wasn't alone. You know, Dennis was in Holland, but my friend Michaela was there. And we get in the car after the ER and she spoke. She was like, Michaela, do you, what do you think about this and this? And then Michaela told me like, this was the first, <laughs> she has, it was the first time she addressed me. She hasn't spoken to me in 36 hours. <laughs> 
or like she has no, 48 hours okay she was there for two days yeah she hadn't even she was so out of it she wasn't even talking to her you know at all and then from there she's just started coming back feeling better and better but I am sitting with this like just these two tiny moments and of course I really hope I'm not oh god I really hope I'm not offending anyone with the smallness of her issue I, I want to hold space for anyone listening to this who has a child who is actually going through something big, actually dealing with something serious. You know, I cannot imagine what it would be like to be in your shoes. I mean, I think about it all the time, but I still cannot imagine. So I hope I'm not offending you by sharing this because she didn't. She doesn't have a serious illness. She doesn't have something life-threatening. She's totally okay but for me, just these little moments and these few days of this this illness and these two moments of, of for a flash second thinking something's wrong with her, that's enough for me to completely lose it, right? Like what happens to my nervous system in those moments? Uh, how do I come back from that? How do I process that? How, you know, I, I don't, I actually don't know. And that's just two tiny little like fraction of a second moments. And I, 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 I truly don't know. I truly don't know other than maybe share the story the way I'm sharing it now and talking about it, obviously in therapy and with Dennis and with my friends. And, but I, to me, those two things, like those two moments this week are equivalent of, I don't know. It's like running a marathon. That's what it feels like. It's like I ran an emotional marathon these past six days. And now Dennis is home. Leia's back. She's eating again. She's like, everything is normal again. She's happy. She's laughing. We've had the last two days have been super, super good. Like really, really good. She's active. Everything's okay. But I'm not okay. Oh my God. I am so not okay. And I, I don't know how to be okay. I guess that's one of the shittiest parts, you know, for so much of, of the stuff that I process and traumas that I've worked through in my life and this big journey of personal development and healing. Like I always have a knowing I know the next step forward. I know the path, at least. I don't know the end destination, but I I know how to keep going. But with this, I, I don't know what to do. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks. So just imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. 
I have always loved learning languages. I speak four fluently. They're so interesting. And I've even noticed that sometimes the language you speak can influence pieces of your personality. Learning my husband's native language made us understand each other on a whole new level. Now Babbel has gifted me my own account and I can't wait to dive in. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you actually start speaking a new language. It's designed by real people for real conversations. And their advanced speech recognition is like having your own personal language coach to help you improve your pronunciation so you can get prepped and confident for real-world conversations. Just 15 hours with Babbel is equal to one university semester. Overall, they have more than 13,000 hours of learning content, and you can browse more than 20,000 courses offered every month. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash yoga. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash yoga, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash yoga. Rules and restrictions may apply. I can't see myself all of a sudden just free from this fear, right? No, because for the rest of my life, literally for the rest of our lives, like there is a risk of something happening. That's what it's like being a human being. We know at any moment, anyone can die. We are all going to die. I'm going to die. She's going to die. You're going to die. Everyone we know is at some point going to die. And, and we know this is true, right? I mean, obviously we know. We're not stupid. We're not deluded. We're... We know, but we also don't know, right? We can't, we can't keep the awareness of that in our day to day or we would not be able to function, right? Obviously, like in those moments or that year when Leah was little, when I kept that in my front awareness, I couldn't function. I couldn't. So we have to put that away somewhere <laughs> and sort of pretend like we know and we have things under control and the worst would never happen and but we don't know and life is completely uncertain and horrible things happen all the time and kids die all the time and children get cancer and serious illness and that that happens some kids go to school and then don't get to go back home like that that happens. And it's not just this big far away, you know, never going to happen to me kind of thing. Like it happens all the time. And I, I can't stop thinking about the parents of the 19 kids that died in Texas this past week. I can't stop thinking about the people I know who have lost a little one. It's not irrational you know to to think about these things because they are real and they are true and I don't know I don't know what the answer is to any of this I do know that part of the uncertainty of life is the reason we are able to experience the big love, you know, the big joy, 
that unbelievable, earth-shattering, life-will-never-be-the-same kind of love, that unbelievable, earth-shattering, life-will-never-ever-be-the-same kind of love, you know, we're, we're only able to truly and fully experience that because we know it's fleeting. We have a, a limited time here. And we are aware of that. We know that deep in our, in our souls, in our hearts, we know we have a limited time here. We don't know how much time we have, how long we're here for. We don't know how much time they have, how long they're here for. And I think with that uncertainty, this huge uncertainty of being a human being, comes this urgency you know, to to live as fully as we as we can, to love as fully as we can, to be here, fully here for this journey, to to do the best we can at this at this thing called life. And you know, it it hurts to really love. To really to really truly love is to risk loss. If if there's no risk of loss, no risk of heartbreak, no risk of, of grief, then it's not really, really love, is it? I just wish for myself in this moment and moving forward, because, you know, motherhood is forever, that I could find a softer place to land, that I could anchor into more of that trust that we're here for the long haul and that she's here with me for the long haul and that I can actually trust that. And I think these things I'm able to connect, the fact that I'm recording a whole podcast about this now means that there's something moving and healing inside of me. Otherwise, this wouldn't be at the forefront of my awareness now. But I was thinking the other day, like when I was giving birth to her, I wonder if the reason it took me so long to push, you know, was that I, I didn't really want her to come because I wasn't ready to find out that she wasn't okay. And since I know now it's an old story, right? She's here, fully alive. I mean, she's the most alive person I know. Fully, fully, fully alive. Breathing, laughing, smiling. She's never been unsafe. You know, she's safe and alive and healthy and happy and here with me. So, this other story that's playing out in the back of my consciousness, it's not real and it's old, it's ancient. Maybe it's not even mine. And I'm so ready to, I'm so ready to have this be transformed into something else. And all I can say is I'll, <laughs> I'll share that journey too. So 
I'm realizing now I probably have to put a big trigger warning at the beginning of this episode because this episode was kind of a bummer. (laughs) If you made it all the way here, (laughs) I hope I didn't bum you out. And if I did, I'm so sorry. And if you don't resonate with anything I shared, oh, I hope you can place a hand to your heart and take a deep breath and feel major gratitude for that. You know, if you have this anchor and this knowing that the people you love are safe and that you're safe and that they're here and that you're here with your people and your loved ones for the long run, then just take a moment for gratitude right now because that is something I so long for. And if you do resonate with a little bit or a lot of what I just shared in this episode, then also know, place a hand to your heart and know you're not alone. You are a feeling human in this big, scary world. And I think it's okay. (laughs) I think it's okay to have these big feelings and you're allowed to have these big feelings. And maybe this episode, this resonance that you're feeling right now is a sign that it's time to have those feelings move a little bit. Maybe they're ready to be alchemized into something else. Because I think underneath this big fear that so many of us are experiencing, there is a trust longing to be felt. Yeah. There is a trust wanting to come through there. I can feel that in my own heart as well. Thank you. <laughs> for being here for this ride (laughs) with me. I so, so appreciate you. And by the way, this was the 1000th episode. (laughs) How wild is that? And that's counting both Yoga Girl Daily and the Yoga Girl podcast. 1000 episodes. Kind of fitting that the first ever episode was about Leia and the thousandth episode is about her. For as long as I live, my life will be (laughs) so centered around hers. And that is the greatest blessing. That is the greatest, greatest, greatest blessing. I'm grateful to be a mom. That I know, that I know, wouldn't change it for the world. Thank you, my loves. Take care of your hearts, and I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy this show, it would mean so much to me if you listened and rated the episodes of the Yoga Girl podcast. Just give it a little five-star review there right in the podcast app. Of course, you can follow all episodes of the Yoga Girl podcast, Conversations from the Heart, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, and wherever you normally get your shows. Of course, thank you to my sponsors. Please support them the way they support this podcast. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week.